Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Oh, my God! Would you please tell him that instead of presents this year, I just want my family back. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It must be magic. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Nobody's walking out on this fun, old-fashioned family Christmas. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. And we're back with another Thursday bonus episode of Tis the Podcast, the podcast determined to keep the Christmas spirit alive all year, every year. And thanks again for joining us for another installment of another Christmas story. This chapter, chapter 26, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, will be read to you by Adam Parker Sybun of Merry Britmas. Now, this chapter was supposed to drop last week, last Thursday, July 29th, but life got in the way, and I didn't have time to put this episode together. So you're getting this this week, but not to worry, because chapter 27, which is called Joy to the World, and will be read to you by Sean Sotka of Christmas Podcasts Podcast, should also be live in your feed this morning, right now. We didn't want to delay the chapter or the rest of the schedule and push it all back a week, so you're getting two episodes this week. So I hope y'all enjoy both of these chapters, which I did split up into two recordings, obviously, just because I wanted to give both Adam and Sean their due, because they put so much awesome work and effort into these recordings. So without further ado, I'm going to hand it off to Adam to read to y'all chapter 26, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Enjoy! Hello, this is Adam from the Merry Britmas podcast. A podcast all about Christmas from a British perspective, where I talk about Christmas music, TV shows and traditions that are British or British in origin. Chapter 26 Hark the Herald Angels Sing December 24th, 2.30pm Eastern Standard Time And if you glance up at the ceiling, you'll notice the Swarovski crystal chandelier, conveniently shaped like a Christmas tree, which adorns this lobby from the 1st of November through the end of January. President Emily Williams, her foreign guests, and their respective delegations were being led around the massive red lobby of Radio City Music Hall, which was empty apart from themselves secret service agents and NYPD officers at every entrance and exit, and the manager of the hall, Bernard Ainsley, who was giving them a guided tour of the premises. The man reminded Emily of a stereotypical English butler. He was pencil thin, with a stiff upper lip, and hair in the formation of a horseshoe circling his nearly bald head. He also wore a perfectly pressed black suit. When he talked, the president couldn't quite place his accent, it sounded like there was a touch of Eastern European mixed in with the American. It's beautiful, Nathan observed. I used to think the diamond in my engagement ring was impressive, Renée playfully ribbed her husband, who laughed in response. Emily smiled as the two shared a loving kiss, before quickly stepping out of the way, as the cameramen and photographers from CNN, the CBC and the BBC rushed forward to capture it up close in all of its glory. 
A little tact would be nice. No. Miranda arched an eyebrow at the various members of the media. The public wants what it wants, Madam Prime Minister, Leo Alvarez replied with a shrug of his shoulders. At the words, Nathan and Renee broke apart, both of them slightly red in the face. Madam President, Susan Montrose spoke up, thrusting her microphone forward into the face of the Commander-in-Chief. Immediately, all of the cameras swivelled to face Emily, who did her best to maintain a composed demeanour. Do you have any comments on Russian President Ivanov's latest tweets accusing you of spending Christmas Eve pandering to American allies rather than trying to de-escalate tensions with the East? Emily felt her stomach drop as her flustered press secretary hurried forward, stroking his moustache. I thought I was explicit before allowing you out of your limousine, but the President and the Prime Ministers won't be taking any... It's fine, Gary. Emily held up a hand to interrupt him before pushing her glasses up the bridge of her nose. When did President Ivanov tweet that? She asked the CBC reporter. About ten minutes ago. Emily smiled tauntingly as she turned to stare directly into the cameras pointing at her. Well, of course, I haven't had the opportunity to see the tweets for myself yet, Susan, as I've been too busy playing host to two of America's greatest friends. We've made clear for days now that this would be a purely social visit, so I'd rather not comment on the Russian president's words right now. However... I would like to note that perhaps if President Ivanov is so concerned about rising tensions between the East and the West, he should do something about it, rather than taking to social media to complain about it. He could have contacted me directly. I would of course take his call, any time, day or night. Or, you know, he could stop acting antagonistic towards the United States and its allies. That would also go a long way. Susan blinked in surprise as Bernard tugged at his collar uncomfortably, a nervous sweat breaking out across his brow. As the camera flashes went off in the President's face, the BBC's Graham Potter glanced at the Canadian and English Prime Ministers. Would either of you care to comment? Anna hurried forward, wedging herself between the three world leaders and the reporters, determined to get their scoop. Turning towards Bernard, she said pointedly, The lobby is beautiful, but really, how much longer can we spend staring at it? How about showing us backstage? The theatre manager's mouth dropped open, offended, but rather than dare challenge the president's chief of staff whose eyes narrowed dangerously, he cleared his throat and gave a curt nod of his head. Sure, of course, right this way. As Bernard led the group towards a door beside one of the souvenir stands, Anna rearranged her expression into one of mock sorrow as she faced the reporters. I'm so sorry, but no cameras are allowed backstage. As the members of the press began to protest, Anna smiled wide before hurrying through the door after the rest of the presidential delegation and slamming it shut in their faces. Emily walked swiftly down the bare, dimly lit concrete hallway, sticking so close to Bernard that she was practically stepping on his heels. A few feet ahead of the theatre manager, Clint and Melissa were leading the way, alert to any potential danger that might spring up ahead of them, while Commissioner Burke and Commanding Officer Pendleton brought up the group's rear prepared to stop any potential attack that might come at them from behind. Madam President, Miranda called angrily. Emily! Emily stopped in her track so suddenly that Miranda nearly walked into her. Yes, Miranda? Do you really think that statement you just made was appropriate? Appropriate? Emily interrupted with a hollow laugh. <laughs> of course not. Appropriate would have been telling Ivanov to go do something vulgar to himself. Nathan glanced past the two women, at Bernard, who was watching the exchange with bemused curiosity. Perhaps now isn't the best time, he said, 
doing his best to keep his voice light and airy. Now's the perfect time, actually, Emily interrupted, annoyed. Meeting her chief of staff's eyes, she jerked her head behind her in the direction of Bernard. Anna, thankfully, picked up on the cue immediately. Bernard! Anna exclaimed brightly, walking forward to throw her arm around the man's shoulders and lead him further away down the hallway, out of earshot. About what I said in the lobby a few minutes ago. Emily waited for Gary, the staff members of the two Prime Ministers, and their three spouses to follow, after Anna and Bernard, and leave the three world leaders alone apart from their security detail, standing a few feet away before speaking again. You were saying, Miranda, the statement you just gave to the CBC, the English Prime Minister began, venom dripping from every word she spoke, was practically goading Ivanov into acting against the West. Oh, please... Emily rolled her eyes as she pushed her glasses up the bridge of her nose. He says far worse about all of us and our countries every single day. Because he knows we're not going to launch nukes against him, Miranda spat, stomping her foot in frustration. Nor take any other significant military action. Really? Emily asked sarcastically. Remind me again what exactly we're doing tonight? I think what Miranda's trying to say... Nathan began sympathetically as he turned towards his American counterpart, is that our conversation with Ivanov later tonight is going to be hard enough after our missile strikes. He doesn't like to be undermined or made a fool of, as you know. Emily nodded her understanding following so far. I'm concerned that when he looks back at the statement you made just now, he'll think it was a planned remark to rub salt in the wounds of the maximum humiliation he's sure to feel after our attack on his warships. Ivanov needs to grow up and understand that his macho machinations aren't going to intimidate me, you, or anybody else, Emily replied. I don't care how he interprets my remarks, quite frankly, as long as he grasps my underlying message. But you know why he tweeted what he did, when he did, don't you? He wanted to make it clear to me that he's aware of the fact I'm planning to ambush him tonight on our call by having you two by my side. She pushed her glasses back up the bridge of her nose again. Frankly, we should have realised he'd figure it out. It would be way too coincidental for you two to fly all the way to Manhattan to play tourist on Christmas Eve, the day that he and I have a secret course scheduled. What Ivanov lacks in height and subtlety, he more than makes up for in intelligence. If he's so intelligent, Miranda began, why not just leak to the press that we have a secret call arranged with him tonight? We'd be lampooned by the media for lying about it. Emily shook her head. That's not his style, she insisted. He doesn't want to appear weak to the people of Russia, which I think he fears he would if they knew he was willing to take a phone call with us amid rising tensions in the first place, especially one that we requested. Noticing that Miranda still looked furious and Nathan looked uncertain, Emily took a deep breath. Trust me. We wouldn't be here today if we didn't trust you, Emily, Nathan informed the president with a weak smile. Would we? He asked Miranda pointedly, who in turn merely pursed her lips in reply. Before either of them could say another word, however, Anna called towards them from the very end of the concrete hallway. Not to interrupt, but if you want to get a backstage tour and meet the Rockettes before showtime, we should really get moving. At the mention of the Rockettes, Nathan's face lit up eagerly. Straightening his tie, he hurried down the hallway, leaving the President of the United States and the Prime Minister of England behind to exchange an exasperated glance before following after him. Aaron Rankin stared down at the picture he took with Santa Claus the entire length of the bus ride from Macy's to Radio City Music Hall. 
The longer he stared at it, the more certain he became that he had just met the real Santa Claus. And as that thought completely took over his mind, he couldn't believe that he had ever doubted the man existed. He thought that perhaps he should feel angry with his brother Jake for lying to him, but in reality, he just felt sorry for him instead. Sorry that somewhere along the way, Jake had lost the ability to believe in things that he couldn't see with his own eyes. Maybe, Aaron thought, there was something he himself could do to help him find it again at some point. His internal joy must have been reflected on his face, for Kevin elbowed him in the side. What are you smiling about? Nothing, Aaron replied quickly. Kevin glanced at the photo in his friend's lap before staring him in the eyes once again, a wide grin unfurling on his own face. Have you finally come to your senses? Aaron rolled his eyes before admitting defeat with a smile and only the smallest hint of exasperation in his voice. You were right. How many times do I have to tell you? I'm always right. Kevin winked at his friend as the bus bumped along the icy, traffic-filled roads of Manhattan in the direction of Radio City. They didn't arrive at the music hall until about 2.30pm, half an hour before showtime, and when they did, they were forced to stand in line in the snow outside and wait for the theatre doors to open. The fact that they were at the front of the line and so close to the threshold that they only had to step over to get some semblance of warmth was punishing for the entire class and their adult chaperones. Indeed, Aaron noticed how impatient Principal Rodriguez and Miss Warren were becoming at the front of the line, craning their necks to try and peer into the tinted glass doors leading into the lobby. Finally, after checking her watch, Miss Warren knocked loudly on the door. Despite the admonishments she received from the security guard near the front of the line keeping a watchful eye on the growing queue. Ma'am, you need to stop that, the stocky guard warned as he waddled over to the young woman. But before he could physically stop her, an employee of New York's famous theatre threw open one of the doors, a crack, and stuck his head out into the cold. Can I help you? the young man asked, scrunching up his face against the cold, snowy wind. Yes, hi! Miss Warren forced a smile onto her face, throwing the security guard who retreated in annoyance a smug look of victory. I was just wondering when you were going to open the doors so that we could take our seats. We should be opening the doors at any moment, ma'am, the young employee replied. We appreciate your patience. You do realise I have a bunch of kids here with me, right? The teacher waved an arm behind her. Young kids who are susceptible to getting sick? I understand that, but... And you realise that even more families with younger kids and some pretty elderly-looking relatives are in line behind us, right? Miss Warren continued, as though she had not been interrupted. The Radio City employee laughed. <laughs> I get that, but then why can't you let us in? It's freezing out here. In case you were unaware, my students are the ones performing in this evening's show. Your plight resonates with me, the employee assured her. Unfortunately, we are under very strict orders not to let any of the public in at the moment. You see, the President is in town with the Prime Ministers of Canada and Britain, and they're currently receiving a tour of the venue. The Secret Service doesn't want anyone else let in until they take their seats. Miss Warren visibly deflated, but Principal Rodriguez could sense anger bubbling close to the surface within her and stepped forward to ask the employee politely, Can you please talk to a supervisor and voice our concerns? I'll see what I can do, the employee assured him, before hastily retreating into the warm theatre. The moment the door closed with a click, the principal and the teacher stared at one another, defeated, as the former shrugged. We tried. Once backstage, Emily feigned interest as Bernard showed them the various sets that were to be utilised in the show that they were about to sit down and watch. 
The Radio City Christmas Spectacular first debuted in its earliest form in 1933, the man explained, as he led the delegation through Santa's workshop. There are only three constants that have remained since that very first production. One, of course, are the world-famous Rockettes, and the other two are our consistently most popular set pieces, the Parade of the Wooden Soldiers and the Living Nativity. Bernard gestured ahead of them, where an enormous manger set was standing half in shadow. Erected beside it was a mini stable, where enclosed within it, a small number of real donkeys, camels, sheep and cows mulled around, being tended to by a young Italian-looking gentleman. The man was carefully manoeuvring amongst them, feeding them as he spoke to them in a low, loving voice. You use real animals? René asked, amazed. We always have, Bernard proudly puffed out his chest. We try to be as authentic as possible here at Radio City. Really? Miranda asked with a derisive snort. Does the real Santa Claus star in your show as well? Jasper chortled as Bernard went red in the face. Before he could answer, however, a man in a Santa outfit emerged from a door and stepped onto the North Pole set. My ears are ringing. Did I hear somebody say my name? Emily eyed the man up and down, impressed with whoever was in charge of casting the Christmas Spectacular, for they really couldn't have found a more perfect person to play jolly old St Nicholas. The man was tall and broad, with soldiers that Emily believed could actually carry sacks full of toys, and a perfectly round face and belly. He was dressed in a burgundy Santa suit, which looked ancient, and had bright blue eyes that twinkled behind the half-moon spectacles perched on the bridge of his nose. He was staring at Emily's delegation warmly, waiting for an introduction, which Bernard... He was staring at Emily's delegation warmly, waiting for an introduction, which Bernard made a few seconds later. Madam President, Mr and Mrs Prime Ministers, this is our Santa Claus, who goes by the name Nicholas, ironically enough. You can call me Santa. The old man stepped forward to shake each of their hands in turn. It's a pleasure to meet all of you. All of our Santas over the years have taken his job very seriously. Bernard informed the group as they shook the man's hand. Nicholas here is new. This is his first year, actually. He just replaced Charles Hall, who played the part for three decades. He did a wonderful imitation of me, the man who preferred to be called Santa joked. I approve of his performance, 100%. You can drop the stick, Nicholas, Bernard tensed up. I'm sure the president doesn't want... Honestly, I don't mind. Emily swiftly cut across the theatre manager, before smiling at Santa. I find it endearing. Madam President, Santa Claus stepped in front of the woman. Congratulations on shattering the highest, hardest glass ceiling in the world. I must say, as endearing as you find me, I feel much of this planet, specifically young girls, find you just as endearing, and an even better role model. Why, thank you, Santa. Emily smiled wide conscious of Gary taking photos of the interaction on his cell phone to publish on her social media accounts. You flatter me. What can I get you for Christmas this year? Emily exchanged a glance with her husband, who was laughing. Oh, I don't know, she shrugged. Can world peace fit into that bag of yours? I'll see what I can do. Santa winked at her, before engulfing her in a hug and whispering into her ear so that only she could hear. I'll also try to bring you a solution to your Russian problem, so that no innocent lives are lost. Emily disentangled herself from the old man, shocked by his words. As she gaped at him, open-mouthed, 
Santa winked at her again before addressing the group at large. If you'll excuse me, it's almost showtime. I need to warm up the pipes. And without another word, he hurried away. Emily? Nathan asked as the woman stared after the old man in the red suit. Are you alright? Yes, Emily stammered. Everything's fine. She threw a look at Anna, however, that silently conveyed otherwise. Do you mind if we pet the animals? Nathan asked Bernard. I'm an animal lover. And it's a good thing we left the press in the lobby so they're unable to take that phrase out of context. Renee teased her husband with a laugh before gripping his hand and following the theatre manager as he led them over to the stable. Ugh. Miranda rolled her eyes. Good thing I bought my perfume. Then, dragging her feet, she followed after the Canadian couple, her husband sticking close to her. As the rest of the delegation moved ahead, Emily stayed behind waiting until she and Anna were finally alone, standing in the middle of Santa's workshop. Moving closer to her boss, Anna furrowed her eyebrows. What is it? What's wrong? This is... Emily laughed despite herself. (laughs) This is going to sound really stupid, but when... uh, When Santa hugged me... She dropped her voice. He told me that for Christmas he tried to bring me a solution to my Russian problem. So there's no bloodshed. She bit down on her lower lip as she glanced around covertly. You don't think that there's any way he or anyone else could have heard? No, Anna interrupted swiftly, shaking her head adamantly. Not at all, absolutely not. Because Nathan, Miranda and myself did have a quick powwow about it in the hallway. Try not to overthink it, Anna instructed. Trust me, there is no way anybody knows what you're planning. So unless that guy happens to be the real Santa Claus, the president laughed at her chief of staff's words. He probably just made an educated guess. I mean, let's face it, the entire world is on edge right now because of escalating tensions between the East and the West. That's probably what he was referring to. Emily nodded. You're right, of course you're right. I'm being stupid. I wouldn't use the word stupid. I'd use cautious. Then noticing the conflicted look on her boss's face, she asked, Are you 100% sure that these airstrikes are the right move to make? Not at all. Emily nervously admitted. But I have to do something. I have to show Ivanov that we're serious when it comes to responding to his aggressive moves. I can't think of any better way to do that. Then smiling sadly at Anna, she nodded her head in the direction of the stable, where the rest of their entourage was gathered. Come on, let's go meet the animals. After spending some time with the animals, the group made their way down a line of roquettes, shaking each of their hands in turn. The best dancers in the world were all stunningly beautiful, and the ones that they met were either dressed in brown leotards and wore antlers on their heads to look like Santa's reindeer, or dressed as wooden soldiers. All of them seemed enamoured by the good-looking and charming Canadian Prime Minister, who confidently interacted with each and every one of them in turn, careful not to get too flirty with any of them in front of René, who was sticking to him like glue. Emily, meanwhile, did her best not to focus too intensely on the words of the Radio City Santa that were reverberating in her head, and feigned interest with each of the young women. The dancer that struck out to her the most, however, appeared barely old enough to have graduated college. An eager African-American girl with wavy black hair done up in a bun atop her head, who shook Emily's hand enthusiastically. Madam President, it is an honour, ma'am. The honour's all mine, Emily smiled, as she gently extricated her hand from the girl's tight grip in order to push her glasses up the bridge of her nose. What's your name? Brittany, the woman smiled wide. Brittany Clarkson. 
How long have you been with the Rockettes? This is my first season with them. Brittany interrupted, taking the president by surprise. As she blinked politely, the Rockettes stammered. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean... It's fine, Emily insisted, grabbing the woman's shoulders firmly. Just relax. Deep breaths. Okay. I'm just a normal person. But you're not, Brittany interrupted again. You're the first woman president of the United States. Don't you realise what that means to women? You're our hero. I campaigned for you. Emily flushed, embarrassed, but also humbled by the girl's words. Well, I'm extremely grateful that you donated your time to do so, Brittany. It means the world to me. I hope I don't end up disappointing you. How could you disappoint me? Brittany spoke over the end of the woman's sentence. You're... Brittany, stop bothering the president. A stern-looking woman emerged from a door behind the row of raquettes. Her grey hair was pulled tight into a bun atop her head, which rested on an extremely bony body, and her black eyes were narrowed as she stared through the glasses, perched atop her hawk-like nose at Brittany, like a predator eyeing its prey. Upon noticing the woman, Brittany tensed up immediately. Sorry, Miss Barnes, she mumbled. Staring between the two women, Emily insisted. It's really all right. I don't mind. You don't have to lie, Madam President. Even if not doing so goes against every political instinct that you have. The woman interrupted, thrusting out her hand. Carolyn Barnes, Director of Programming at Radio City Music Hall. Emily shook her hand obligingly, taken aback by the woman's demeanour. The minute she withdrew it, she flinched as the director clapped her hands together loudly and addressed the line of dancers. Girls, don't you have a show to get ready for? Chop, chop! And much to Nathan's disappointment, the raquettes all scurried away before a picture could be snapped with the delegation. Bernard, to his credit, looked embarrassed. Carolyn, he snapped. What on earth do you think you're doing? When Carolyn peered at the man, Emily smirked in amusement as he quivered under her gaze. It's almost showtime. The doors are about to open, and I figured that the president and her guests should take their seats in the private box before we start letting people in. The crowd can wait. Then how about you go outside and tell that to all of the mothers who want to get their children settled? And while you're at it, why not let those school children know that as well? Their teacher, whom I hear is quite unsufferable, is outside complaining about being forced to wait in the snow. They're here already, Bernard asked, deflating before their very eyes. Turning to face the three world leaders who were staring curiously at the man, he explained, For tonight's eight o'clock show, the third grade class of Miss Patricia Warren will be taking the stage with the raquettes to narrate and provide the music for the living nativity. They won a contest, he added, almost as an afterthought. That's lovely, Emily noted. Please give them my regards. Of course, Bernard inclined his head ever so slightly. Let me show you to your seats. Once you're settled, we can start letting the public in. An excellent idea, Jasper exclaimed suddenly. My feet are killing me. Psst! Rankin! Aaron, who was shuffling from foot to foot in an effort to keep warm where he stood outside of Radio City Music Hall with the rest of his class, wearily turned at the sound of Chris's voice. He was standing directly behind him with Daniel, and both were staring daggers at him. What do you want? he asked, as Kevin curiously turned to monitor the situation. What the hell did you tell Santa? Chris demanded. What are you talking about? Aaron asked, exasperated and legitimately curious. At Mace's, he warned us we better stop treating you better. Daniel hissed angrily, punching a closed fist into his open palm. What, you ratted us out or something? Oh, give me a break, Aaron rolled his eyes. I wouldn't tell on you. Chris gave a snort of derision. Hmm, 
I wouldn't. I'm no fink. Then how? Did it ever occur to you that he surmised you were both bullies because he's Santa Claus? He knows if you've been bad or good, remember? It's right there in the song. He didn't need me to tell him what you two are like. What, you believe in Santa again all of a sudden? Daniel spat, shaking with rage. You bet he does, Kevin proudly piped up. So it looks like Krampus won't be coming for him tonight after all. How do you... Santa told me, Aaron informed his bullies, eliciting looks of shock from both of them. Then, to drive his point home, he withdrew the crude drawing of Krampus they had given him earlier in the day and crumpled it up in front of their noses. Maybe you two are the ones who should worry about him paying a visit, since Santa clearly thinks you're the ones who have been naughty. Say that to me again, Daniel dared, as he shoved Aaron hard, causing him to stumble backwards a few steps. Before Aaron could reply, however, Principal Rodriguez spoke loudly from the front of the line. Proceed inside in an orderly fashion, students! Aaron, Kevin, Daniel and Chris turned as one to find the doors to the music hall had been thrown open, and their fellow classmates were slowly shuffling through security into the blissfully heated space. With one last glance over his shoulder at his now silent bullies, who looked as though they were mentally trying to kill him, Aaron moved forward with the rest of his class, a newfound confidence swelling within him. It quickly dissipated, however, when he noticed Holly and Margot a few feet in front of him. When the former glanced back and flashed him a shy smile, he flushed red and quickly stared down at his feet. Miss Warren's third grade class was absolutely awed by the grandiose lobby of the world-famous theatre. Garlands were strung everywhere, beautifully decorated Christmas trees were situated in every corner, and an enormous crystal chandelier hung from the rafters, twinkling brightly. As Aaron stared round the lavishly decorated, insanely crowded room in amazement, he spotted more than a few cops peppered about the space, communicating with men and women, who wore impeccably pressed suits and earpieces. He assumed they were there to provide security and protection for the president, whose presence had necessitated their long wait outside in the snow. Aaron was so lost in his own thoughts that he didn't notice Kevin had drifted away from him to join a group of kids, being chaperoned by Holly's mother at the concession stand, allowing Holly herself the perfect window of opportunity to sidle up beside him. I still can't believe we're here in New York, at Radio City Music Hall of all places. Can you? Aaron blinked in surprise as he turned round to face the girl his stomach somersaulting excitedly at the sight of her. Shaking his head, he answered, I really can't. Then, spotting Holly's mother across the room in a silent effort to search for Kevin, he added wistfully, I wish my mum could have been here, though. He smiled sadly at his crush. You're lucky yours is here. I know I am, Holly nodded, before gently taking one of Aaron's hands in her own, causing his heart to skip a beat. But yours will be here, too, if she could be. Besides... At least your grandparents will be in the audience, right? When the boy nodded, Holly smiled wide. Well, there you go then. Try to enjoy yourself, Aaron. Your mum would want you to. Deep down, Aaron knew that his friend was right. So forcing a smile onto his face, he nodded curtly in agreement, which caused Holly's own smile to widen. She squeezed his hand reassuringly before releasing it from her grip, much to Aaron's disappointment. Clearing her throat loudly, Holly pointed out, <coughs> So, I couldn't help but overhear the conversation you were having outside with Chris and Daniel. You believe in Santa again? Aaron shrugged. What can I say? Meeting him in person restored my faith. I I'm glad. I don't think Chris and Daniel are, Aaron replied, finding the two bullies across the room, 
where they stood in deep conversation with one another beside a spiral staircase that led to a lower level within the building. Holly rolled her eyes. They're jerks, Aaron. Ignore them. They're just pissed off they can't scare you with their Krampus story. So, you don't believe in Krampus? Aaron asked, an eyebrow raised. Holly hesitated for a moment, looking slightly uncomfortable. Well, I've never seen him, but I guess I can't say for sure. Before Aaron could reply, Miss Warren called loudly across the crowded lobby from where she was standing beside an usher at one of the doors leading into the music hall's auditorium. Class, gather round please, let's get inside and take our seats. The teacher's words, heard by everyone within the lobby, seemed to prompt a mass movement of theatre-goers not with their group to begin making their way towards the auditorium doors as well, in an attempt to get ahead of the class of third graders. Aaron and Holly turned back to look at one another again, amused, just as Margot came rushing up behind them. Holly! Oh, hey Aaron! She added when she noticed who her friend was talking to. Let's go! I'll be right there, Holly intimated to her best friend, as Margot took a few steps backwards, eyeing her suspiciously. I guess I'll see you inside, she said to Aaron, who nodded in response as the two girls hurried away. As they retreated, Aaron could have sworn he heard Margot taunt her friend in a sing-song voice. Holly and Aaron sitting in a tree. K-I-S-S-I-N-G. Shut up. What are you smirking about? Kevin asked as he sidled up behind his smirking best friend clutching a box of candy tightly to his chest. Nothing. Uh-huh, Kevin replied, unconvinced. When he followed Aaron's line of sight towards the area where Holly and Margot were, he clapped a hand on the boy's shoulder. Let's go. Who knows, maybe you'll get lucky and get to sit next to Holly. When they approached the entrance to their own private box to the right of Radio City's theatre, overlooking the stage, President Williams found Clint and Commissioner Burke standing guard on one side of the entrance, and Melissa and Commanding Officer Pendleton standing on the other side. Besides the four of them, members of both Prime Minister's security forces stood as well. Coming to a stop in front of the curtain drawn closed in front of the box, Bernard gestured at it. You'll be just through here. Thank you for the tour, Bernard. Emily nodded at the man, who gave a deep bow and mumbled, I, I hope you enjoy the show, before hurrying away. The moment he was out of sight, Miranda rolled her eyes. Thank God we never have to see him again. Emily led the way into their box and sat down in the front row, with Nathan to her immediate left and Miranda to the left of him. Bobby, meanwhile, sat to her immediate right, with Renee situated between him and Jasper. In the row behind them, their three chiefs of staff sat along with their press secretaries. Couldn't ask for a better seat, Nathan exclaimed brightly as he straightened his tie and stared ahead at the red curtain that blocked the stage from view, onto which lights were projected in the shapes of snowflakes and Christmas baubles. In response, Miranda sunk down in her chair, folded her hands in her lap and closed her eyes. What are you doing? Emily asked. I may as well take a nap, Miranda replied, keeping her eyes shut tight. Get a break from all of this Christmas crap. Besides, it might be the last good sleep I get for a while. If things go wrong tonight, can you imagine the hours we'll be working? I don't know about you, but I already work 24-7, Emily pointed out curtly, so I don't think the hours could get any worse for me. Nathan smirked at the response but said nothing, as Emily turned to face Bobby and whisper, Looks like her bad mood's back. Jasper's never left, her husband replied under his breath. I feel bad for Renee. He jerked his head ever so slightly at the First Lady of Canada, who was awkwardly trying to engage with the First Gentleman of England. Smirking, Emily turned in her seat to face Anna. 
Can you guys see all right back there? Anna nodded. We're fine. Just relax and enjoy the show. Relax, Emily repeated the word with a laugh. (laughs) I don't think that word is included in my job description, but I'll do my best. And without another word, she turned forward again and glanced over the balcony of their box to watch as a group of schoolchildren was ushered into the theatre by a teacher who was doing her best to maintain control of the group. When they arrived at Radio City, ten minutes before the afternoon performance of the Christmas Spectacular was set to begin, Joey and Mary were stopped by two men wearing suits and earpieces and were given full-body pat-downs after they were forced to walk through metal detectors. When Joey inquired as to why there seemed to be so much heightened security at the theatre compared to how much there usually was, one of the men replied, The President of the United States is attending this showing. Joey, ever the political nerd, widened his eyes excitedly as Mary let out an exasperated sigh. No wonder Santa Claus wanted to pawn his tickets off on us, she grumbled. He didn't want to deal with all of the extra hassle. It's his loss, Joey pointed out. What's a little security when the greatest Christmas show on the planet waits to be seen on the other side of it? And you know, he shrugged, you get to watch it in the presence of one of your personal heroes. Mary smirked as the security guard who had been checking them over indicated they were free to move on into the building. Thank you. Mary took her purse back from one of the men and followed Joey inside. Upon entering the theatre's very red lobby, decked out in all manners of Christmas decorations, both of them looked up towards the ceiling in unison. The Swarovski crystal chandelier, which hung low and was shaped like a Christmas tree, sparkled brightly. It was a beautiful fixture of the music hall, and one that was almost as iconic as the holiday show that was performed annually within its walls. Noticing they were a couple of the only stragglers left hanging out in the lobby, Joey said, Come on, let's find our seats before the curtain goes up. The inside of the theatre was packed, and each aisle leading down towards the stage was blocked by Secret Service agents and members of the NYPD, who patted down anybody that tried to get by. After allowing themselves to be searched yet again, Joey and Mary made their way down to the very front of the auditorium, glancing around at all the excited faces surrounding them, at the giddy children and their parents drinking in the enthusiasm. Mary smiled to herself as the baby inside of her kicked happily. She couldn't wait to take it to see the show, one day in the future. Man, these are really good seats, Joey said, as they sat five rows back from the stage in the dead centre of said row. These must have cost that guy a fortune. Then glancing around covertly, he added, I just hope that nothing nefarious is at play here. Like what? I don't want to say, Joey replied cagely, but the president is here. He turned in his seat and glanced up at a box at the front of the theatre on the right-hand side, which looked down upon the stage. Within it, Joey recognised President Williams and her husband, her chief of staff, and the two foreign prime ministers. Mary glanced up at the box quickly, before turning back to Joey, a stern expression on her face. Don't even joke about that. Joke about what? I didn't even voice it aloud. Don't even think it. I was just saying, well don't, Mary snapped. Okay, okay, I'm sorry, jeez. Joey glanced back up at the president's box again, and Mary eyed him closely, noticing a wistful look in his eye. Man, you really like her, don't you? And she's my hero. You should try to see if you can meet her after the show. Ha! Joey let out a humorous laugh. She's the most powerful person in the world. Security wouldn't let me get within ten feet of her. Before Mary could press the point even more, the lights overhead dimmed, which caused the audience to break into applause. Leaning close to his friend's ear, Joey whispered, Let's get this show started. 
I love watching the raquettes dance. I bet you do, Mary replied out the corner of her mouth. Who doesn't? Joey asked, as the red curtains parted to reveal the North Pole and the world-famous performers in question, dressed as Santa's reindeer and dancing their way out onto the stage, pulling an empty sleigh. I mean, look how flexible they are. What guy wouldn't love watching that? Or girl? Well, they do say that women know their way around down there better than any man does, Mary admitted, staring at the roquettes appreciatively. I wouldn't say no. Joey's mouth dropped open at the statement, causing Mary to smirk mischievously. Her words had had the desired effect. Settling back into her chair to enjoy the show, she felt her own jaw drop open as Santa Claus ran onto the stage. That looks exactly like the Santa Claus who gave me these tickets, she hissed to Joey, elbowing him hard in an attempt to get his attention. Why would an actor give away free tickets to their own show? They're not that generous. It's all about exposure. Back when I used to act, I didn't care how much people paid to see my shows as long as people came to see them. Still, I doubt it's the same guy, Joey replied. Then squinting and leaning forward ever so slightly as he eyed the man closely, he added, Though, he does kind of look like the same one that was at Macy's earlier today. Mary smirked. Are we racist for thinking all Santa Clauses look the same? Joey laughed at the words, but before he could reply, a patron sitting directly behind them whispered dangerously into their ears. Could you two keep it down? We can't hear over your talking. Sorry. Joey and Mary mumbled as one. Then after exchanging one last guilty glance, they turned back to the stage in time to see the raquettes pull Santa off in his sleigh. Emily Williams watched as the raquettes performed the crowd-pleasing Parade of the Wooden Soldiers musical number, turning perfectly in sync. Immediately, she honed in on the young African-American girl she'd met backstage, Brittany, and couldn't help but smile to herself that the young woman had achieved what was sure to have been a lifelong dream to dance on stage alongside the raquettes. This number was the president's own personal favourite, and had been since she was a small child, when she saw the magical show for the first time in her life. There was just something amazing about the robotic, almost militaristic choreography the beautiful dancers utilised. And as president, she found something relatable about the end of the number, how when one soldier fell, all of the rest fell as well. It reminded her of the delicate Western alliances that had been forged over the past century. If one of the countries that made it up were to fall, it would cause a domino effect, a chain reaction that would put into motion the fall of all the others and allow a massive opening for Russia or other hostile powers to fill the void and exert their influence over the rest of the globe. It was Russia that had been plaguing Emily's mind during all hours of the day and night while awake and asleep for months now. And it was Russia at that very moment that was causing her to stare at her favourite number in the Christmas Spectacular without truly seeing what was happening. She was far too nervous about that evening's strike against the Kremlin. She had never been entirely sure that it was the correct move to make. She only knew for a fact that she needed to commit a Hail Mary plan and make a bold move. And the discussion that she had had with the music hall's resident Santa Claus was making her doubt her plan even more now. Why had he told her that he tried to bring a solution to her Russian problem? One that would result in no innocent lives lost? Did he somehow know what was going to occur in a matter of hours? Her inner turmoil must have shown on her face and in her posture, for a moment later Anna leaned forward to whisper in her ear, Is everything alright, Madam President? Fine, Emily intoned to her underling, barely moving her lips. Everything's fine, I'm just a bit restless, that's all. 
and to silently reassure her worried chief of staff, she forced a wide smile onto her face to match Nathan's, who was grinning ear to ear beside her as he stared joyously down at the stage, watching as the Santa Claus they'd met earlier was joined on stage by Roquettes now dressed in Santa outfits themselves. Though Kevin had been right and Aaron had somehow managed to get a seat directly beside Holly inside of the theatre, with Kevin situated on his other side, he was so entranced by the magic unfolding before him on the stage that he barely recognised that his hand was within inches of the girl he had such an enormous crush on. On stage, Santa Claus, one who looked remarkably like the real Santa Claus that Aaron and his classmates had visited with at Macy's hours earlier, was leading the Roquettes in a dance routine that was choreographed to the song Here Comes Santa Claus. The dancers were all dressed in matching Santa outfits, complete with fake beards, and ringing Salvation Army bells in time with the beat of the music. The number was meant to explain to the world how Santa could be in multiple places at once, whether on the street corner collecting money for charity, or in a mall speaking with children, and it made Aaron's face hurt from smiling so wide. As he watched the old man in red moving like somebody decades younger than he was, Aaron couldn't believe that his brother had somehow almost managed to convince him that Santa Claus wasn't real. The world was depressing enough. He couldn't imagine how much worse it would be if Santa didn't exist. He represented everything good about the world. Selfless giving and pure platonic love for his fellow man. And while his brother might not believe in Santa anymore, Aaron hoped that later that night, when Santa was making his yearly trip around the world, he could give his brother the gift of happiness again. As the Rickettes began to perform a number called New York at Christmas, Joey couldn't help but smile to himself. He had always been a huge fan of this particular number, for it involved a red double-decker bus stuffed with roquettes that spun in place in front of a computer-generated background behind it, which made it look like it was actually driving through New York City, past all of the iconic sights that the island of Manhattan had to offer during the holidays. As the number went on, Joey became impressed by just how many things he and Mary had been able to squeeze in on that day. They had actually managed to see most of the Christmassy things that the city that never sleeps was known for. The quality time that the two of them had spent together in New York that day had also helped him realise just how much he really did miss living on the East Coast, right on the doorstep of the most famous city on the planet. He often forgot it while out in LA, but there really was no place on earth like New York City, especially around the holidays. He loved the hustle and the bustle, loved the snow, the smell of chestnuts roasting on street corners, the shopping, all of the lights and sounds, all of it. There was just something very bizarre in his mind about spending Christmas in California where it remained 80 degrees throughout December, and there was no family around. Even though he was dreading seeing his family that evening, afraid of how they'd react to his double dose of bad news, there was something nice about being home for the holidays. In fact, part of him was convinced that the right thing for him to do after the holidays was to move back to the East Coast and try to rebuild his life in Manhattan. At the thought, however, he bit his lower lip and glanced sideways at Mary, who seemed mesmerised by the Christmas spectacular playing out in front of them. How much of what he was feeling at that moment was attributed to the girl he had spent the day with? Surely at least a part of it? And he had to remember that even though they were trying to rebuild a friendship, she lived in England and was about to become a single mother. Even if she did move home so her parents could help with the baby, it wasn't as though he'd see much of her. Either way, he thought that perhaps a fresh start on the complete opposite side of the country from where he had lost his job and had his heart broken would be the best for him. He didn't want to get so ahead of himself quite yet, however depending on how his parents reacted to his news later that evening, he might change his mind about wanting to live close to them. He did really like the idea of moving away from California though. Maybe if not New York, he could always move to Boston or DC. Joey shook his head to clear it, as he straightened up tall in his seat. He was determined to enjoy the show in front of him. 
determined to allow himself to become distracted from the realities from his life, even if it was only for a short amount of time. Aaron watched, wide-eyed, as an olive-skinned man portraying a small child meant to be the little drummer boy led a cavalcade of exotic animals across the stage, playing the snare drum hanging round his neck as the orchestra in the pit at the foot of the stage backed him up with the sounds of their blaring brass and wind instruments. The song that they were playing shared the name of the character leading the animals across the stage, and as Aaron watched, unblinking, he felt the little bit of confidence that he had gained over the course of the day by reaffirming his belief in Santa Claus, and standing up to Daniel and Chris, instantly evaporate as he remembered that, in a few measly hours, it would be him on stage, playing the part for the packed musical. He wasn't sure whether or not he'd be able to do it, just sitting in the audience as a spectator, envisioning himself taking part in the performance, made him feel sick to his stomach. He glanced at Holly out the corner of his eye, and saw that the girl looked just as frightened as he did. She was white as a ghost as she stared at the three child actors in pyjamas sitting on the side of the stage, huddled together on a couch with a book lying open in their laps. They were taking turns reading the story of the Nativity aloud, narrating the birth of Jesus as it unfolded on the stage. Later that evening, Holly would be taking on the role of the oldest child, reading to her two siblings who were going to be played by Chris and another of their classmates, Erin. Judging from the look on her face, Aaron knew that she was having self-doubts about her ability to do a good job. Aaron only tore his gaze from Holly once again when the stage lit up brightly and the chorus and orchestra began to blare Hark the Herald Angels Sing, as Mary and Joseph presented baby Jesus to the gathered crowds of shepherds, wise men and animals, all while the angel Gabriel overlooked the seed from above. It was a dazzling sight, so dazzling in fact that the bright flashes of light began to go off all around the auditorium as patrons broke the music hall's rule about flash photography in order to catch a still of the scene. This increased attention to this particular portion of the show made Aaron even more nervous, as he hated having his picture taken, and the thought of so many cameras going off in his face as he performed made him dread his upcoming performance even more. Mary watched, awestruck, as three child actors began to read out the story of the first Christmas, while the Roquettes, and a host of exotic animals, acted out silently behind them. She assumed it was a heightened sense of smell courtesy of her pregnancy, but the camels, donkeys, sheep and other barnyard creatures that made their way across the stage made her gag slightly, while nobody else around her seemed affected. As the orchestra underscored what was happening on stage with religious Christmas carols, Mary found herself thinking back on the conversation she had had with Joey earlier in the day. It was true, she wasn't particularly religious anymore, despite the fact she'd been raised Catholic. In her mind, too many bad things happened to good and innocent people around the world for a god to exist. And if a god did exist, it wouldn't be a very compassionate one. Otherwise, why would so many innocent children die young? Or helpless animals be tortured and abused? No. In Mary's mind, it was much easier to reconcile living life without acknowledging the existence of an omnipresent, all-powerful, eternal being. Having said that, she did still go to one mass a year with her family whenever she was in town for the holidays, the Christmas Eve vigil. Her parents never forced her to go, despite the fact they always snidely hinted she should go to church more often. She willingly went with them. Why? Because she had always liked the story of Jesus' birth, and in her mind, like Gabe, the porter at the plaza, had said to her the night before, if there was one mass a year that she was going to attend, it was going to be the Christmas one, with all of the lights, the story that she knew, and all the Christmas carols that were sung throughout it. But as she hadn't been home for Christmas in years at that point, she hadn't been to mass in years. Perhaps that was the reason she was getting so emotional as Hark the Herald Angels Sing began to blare from the orchestra pit, 
and the stage lit up to reveal Mary, Joseph and baby Jesus tucked away in a manger, surrounded by kings, shepherds and a variety of animals, with a star shining brightly high above them all. Or perhaps it had more to do with the fact that she was watching an actress playing a new first-time mother as she stared lovingly at her newborn son, with nothing but adoration in her eyes. Her own baby kicked inside of her at that moment, prompting her to place her hands on her stomach as her mind raced with questions. How can Mary never seem nervous in any variation of the story as she travelled across the desert to give birth to her son in Bethlehem? Even if it was all fictional, she all seemed confident and sure of her decision, despite the fact she lived in a time when having a baby out of wedlock was frowned upon, especially when the father wasn't even the man she was pledged to marry. Was it because Jesus was literally the son of God that she was filled with such an innate sense of calmness? Because sitting there in Radio City at that moment, her mind racing with these questions, Mary felt anything but calm. In fact, she felt claustrophobic, as though the walls were closing in upon her. She was terrified. Terrified to confront her parents that evening. Terrified to bring a child into this world when his father wanted nothing to do with it. Terrified as to the uncertainness of the future that awaited her and her unborn baby. Terrified that she would be a terrible mother. And terrified that she was on speaking terms with Joseph Nazario again. That last thought slipped into her mind, taken her by surprise. She was so afraid about rekindling their friendship, because she was so scared that something would happen to screw it up once again. After all, neither of them had had the best run of luck lately. Why would the universe let up its relentless assault on them now and let them merely enjoy each other's company? She truly did care about Joey. He'd been such a rock throughout her childhood, until they reached high school, and she needed a rock now more than ever. But in what capacity? As a close friend? Or as something more? She had no idea what the man wanted, had no idea what she herself wanted, and was afraid they might want different things and that would drive them apart organically once more, even if there was no fight to be had between them again. Her baby kicked again at that moment, bringing Mary back to her senses. Whatever was going on between the two of them could wait. It had to wait. Joey was serving as a nice distraction that day, but she had to keep in mind that she was about to bring a child into the world at any moment, and that took precedent. That was the most important thing to her, and she had to focus on that despite all of her fears. So taking a deep, shuddering breath, Mary tried to subtly wipe the tears from her eyes so as not to alert Joey she'd been tearing up at the sight of the gorgeous nativity scene on display in front of them. Emily pushed her glasses up the bridge of her nose, enthralled by the living nativity scene playing out on stage in front of her. She'd grown up in a fairly religious family and her faith still played a huge part in her life to that day, even if admittedly she wasn't an avid churchgoer. There was something truly spectacular about seeing people bring to life the reason for the Christmas season on stage in such a spectacular way, with real animals, a beautiful set and a blaring orchestra. Above the manger in which Mary and Joseph stood over a doll representing the newborn king, a star glowed brightly as below the family the three kings, shepherds and animals stared up at the living miracle. So stunning was the display that, per usual, the audience completely neglected the no photography rule, which had always been the policy of Radio City, in order to capture the moment on film. It was a testament to how powerful and beautiful the scene was framed, that the flashing lights from the phones and cameras didn't detract from it in the slightest. It was the star that kept Emily's attention, however. According to the Bible, God sent his son to earth in order to save humanity. The Holy Book also foretold that one day, eventually, God's son would return to earth to save humanity once again. Emily wasn't somebody who took the Bible literally. She personally believed that if God were ever going to send his child down to earth again, it wouldn't be in the form of a literal person who went around performing minor miracles. 
She believed that God would send the spirit of his son down to earth to live within each and every human being, so they'd be able to save themselves. The president inhaled deeply as she continued to stare intently at the star. Like her predecessors, she ran for office for a multitude of reasons. She was certain that she could help the people of America and the world, and because of this, truly believed it was her duty to run for the highest office in the land in order to do so. She also believed, however, that God imbued her with the gifts to do the job, the will, the courage, the strength, the stamina, and the people skills. It was something that most people who ran for president believed, which is why a traditional part of the inauguration ceremony was meeting privately with religious leaders in Washington the morning of to pray for guidance, and why religious leaders of various faiths spoke at the swearing in itself. And every day, since the day she announced her candidacy, Emily began her morning and ended her evenings with prayer, seeking guidance in doing the right thing while running the free world. And at the sight of that artificial star hanging above the stage at that moment, Emily found her mind ease somewhat. Suddenly she knew that whatever the outcome of her strikes on Russia that evening, that God would be with her and guide her through the aftermath. And that provided her with a small amount of comfort. And as she let out a content sigh, the president closed her eyes and muttered a prayer of thanks to herself. You know what? Joey began as the people around them all rose to their feet as one to applaud the man who played Santa Claus the moment he came back on stage for his curtain call. I don't know if he's the same Santa that gave you these tickets for free, but I'm almost positive he's the same guy from Macy's. He might even be the one I saw raising money for the Salvation Army at the entrance of Central Park earlier. Mary laughed. <laughs> well, there is only one Santa Claus, Joey. Stop obsessing, she advised with a small smile as the two of them slowly began to make their way towards the nearest exit. We're probably just imagining things, getting caught up in the magic for Christmas and all that. She waved her hand through the air as they stepped out into the heavily falling snow. The sun was nearly completely gone from the sky now, and Christmas lights were twinkling brightly all around them. Maybe, Joey conceded, but I still think there's a chance that Santa is stalking us. Mary laughed again as they started slowly down the street, careful not to slip on the ice beneath their feet. Before either of them could say anything more on the subject, however, Mary's phone began to ring inside of her purse. Oh, sorry, she threw her companion an apologetic glance as she pulled out her cell. Noticing Natalie's name flashing across it, she held up a finger to Joey, said, Just a minute, and walked away from him as she placed the phone to her ear. Hello? How's your date day going? Natalie teased. Ha ha ha, very funny. Mary rolled her eyes. What's up? Well... Natalie began hesitantly. Look, please don't kill me, alright? Because trust me, my parents already want me dead. I think I may have to work until six tonight. At the words, a sense of relief flooded through Mary's body. It's just, you know, it's taking longer than I expected to get this book to the printer and... Nat, it's fine, Mary reassured her. Trust me. Are you sure? I'm a big girl. Are you still with Romeo? What time is Ryan picking him up? I don't know what time Joey is getting picked up, Mary told her friend. But if it's before you pick me up, I'll be fine on my own, alright? Trust me, I'll just wait at the hotel or something. You sure? How oh, man, I'm positive, Mary exclaimed emphatically. Alright, Natalie answered with a hint of uncertainty in her voice. You know I worry about you, a pregnant woman, walking the dark streets of New York alone on the snow on Christmas Eve. You're forgetting I grew up in this city, Mary laughed. Trust me, I'll be fine. I'll see you later. Okay, 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 Natalie replied. I'll try to be in front of the plaza around 6.30, alright? That's perfect, Mary insisted. I'll see you then. 
and without another word she hung up her phone and shoved it back inside of her purse, before turning round to face Joey again. That was Natalie, she informed him, as she hobbled back over to him. She's picking me up at 6.30 in front of the hotel. Joey glanced at his watch, relieved to see he still had some time to spend with her. So you have just under two hours left to kill. What do you want to do? Mary stared up 55th Street, where the spectre of St. Patrick's Cathedral loomed large a few blocks away. Actually, she began with a nervous laugh, I wouldn't mind going to 5.30 Mass. Joey raised an eyebrow. I thought you said you weren't religious. I'm not, Mary insisted with a shrug, but well, you know, it's all part of the New York Christmas experience, right? Normally when I'm home for Christmas Eve I'll go to Mass with my parents, but since it looks like I'm going to miss it tonight... Joey nodded his understanding. Fair enough. Let's do it. Great, Mary smiled. But we still have an hour and a half to kill before that, and I really need to pee. So let's find a bathroom first. Why didn't you do it when we were in the theatre? I didn't have to go then, duh. Mary rolled her eyes. I can't control when the baby decides to press down on my bladder. When the lights overhead turned on as the heavy red curtain dropped to shield the stage after the final bows, Aaron Rankin remained pressed back into his seat, unblinking as he gripped the arms of his chair tightly. He didn't flinch as people all around him began to rise to their feet, chattering excitedly about how great the show was, and his stomach constricted nervously. In just under four hours, he would be on that stage, portraying the little drummer boy, and after watching that amazing performance, he felt like he was going to choke and let down all of his classmates. So lost was he in his own thoughts that Kevin had to practically shout his name in order to get him to notice him. Huh? He asked his best friend. I asked if you were okay. You look like you've seen a ghost. Kevin's words caused Holly and Margot, who were deep in conversation on the other side of Aaron, to turn and face him. I'm fine. Aaron shook his head as he swallowed hard. It's... it's nothing? It doesn't look like nothing, Margot pointed out. You're all clammy looking. Am I? Aaron pressed the back of his hand to his forehead in order to confirm that the girl was correct. Are you sick? Holly asked, concerned. Are you? Aaron asked quickly, meeting the girl of the eye he had a crush on. You looked a little, uh, um, nervous during the show. Why were you watching me instead of the show? Holly raised an amused eyebrow. Yeah, Aaron, Kevin chimed in, barely unable to conceal his smirk. What gives? Nothing, Aaron insisted a little too forcefully, feeling his face flush red. No reason, I just... I couldn't look anymore, he admitted quietly, diverting his eyes from those of his friends. Why not? It's obvious, isn't it? Daniel, who'd been sitting directly in front of the group, turned round in his seat to face the four of them, wearing a mischievous smile on his face, as beside him Chris mimicked the motion. The little baby's getting stage fright. I'm not! Aaron defended himself, aware that his cracked voice revealed the truth. Indeed, the moment the words spilled from his mouth, his tormentors burst into a fit of laughter. Is that all? Kevin asked as he rolled his eyes with a sigh of relief. You'll do fine. Seriously, what happened to your newfound confidence? It was all a show, clearly, Chris taunted. Be careful, Chris, Daniel warned with a wink. You don't want Aaron's girlfriend jumping in to defend him. As Aaron's face turned an even deeper shade of red, Margot jumped to his defence. Would you two lay off? You're just jealous, because Holly's into Aaron instead of either of you. Margot! Holly's mouth fell open aghast as her cheeks turned a violent shade of pink. Her best friend, however, ignored the instruction and continued. Seriously, just ignore them, Aaron. Having stage fright is normal. Holly's nervous about tonight, too. What? 
she demanded angrily after Holly elbowed her hard in the ribs. You were just saying you were. Really? Aaron asked softly as Holly turned to face him, embarrassed. Well, yeah. Holly gave a curt nod of her head before jerking her head in the direction of the stage. I mean, did you see how good those actors were? They're professionals, Kevin interjected. What did you expect? You'll do fine, Aaron insisted softly as he locked eyes with Holly once again. Seriously, you're the best reader in the class. You'll have no problem reading the nativity story later. You really think so? I know so. Oh, Margot smiled wide. Oh, Chris and Daniel mimicked cruelly, earning themselves a reproachful look from the girl they were mocking. Holly chose to ignore the boys, choosing instead to address Aaron. Well, honestly, I don't know why you're so worried about tonight. You play the drums better than anybody that I know. Daniel's face darkened at the words. Aaron knew the words had to hurt, as he himself was not only a drummer, but Aaron's understudy for the evening. I think you both need to relax a little bit, Kevin advised. We're all a little nervous about performing in front of an enormous crowd, but we'll all be fine. We've been practicing for weeks. We've got this. Margot nodded her agreement. It's normal to be a little nervous. It's healthy. It's also normal and healthy to admit when you're unable to do something, Daniel cut in, meeting Aaron's eyes. So if you need me to step up and play the part tonight, Rankin, just let me know. Your pride isn't worth you embarrassing all of us by screwing up. Aaron and his bully stared one another down, but before the former could reply, Principal Rodriguez's voice diverted their attention. Class, your attention, please. As the chattering students turned to face the principal, Aaron glanced around the theatre, noticing for the first time that it was just about empty now apart from their class. The only people left within it were a few straggling families trying to corral their younger kids, and people helping elderly relatives up the aisles and out of the side doors. Principal Rodriguez and Miss Warren were standing at the entrance of the row they were sitting in, beside a stern-looking, thin older woman with a lined face and grey hair pulled behind her ears into a tight bun. This is Miss Carolyn Barnes. The principal motioned at the strange woman. She's the director of programming here at Radio City, and the brains behind the contest that brought us here tonight. Let's give a round of applause, shall we? As the students, their chaperones, their principal and the teacher broke out into a polite round of applause, Aaron noticed that the old woman appeared extremely uncomfortable. Not only that, but she didn't even crack a smile. When the applause died away, she gave a very curt, thank you, before launching into a speech that she'd clearly prepared in advance. All of us here at Radio City Music Hall work extremely hard to protect the integrity and quality of our iconic venue. We expect nothing less than perfection from our Rockettes every single show they perform in throughout the year, but especially during the Christmas Spectacular. You are here because you are the best students that Bernard Ainsley, who is the manager of this establishment, found in the contest that was all his idea. She threw a pointed glance at Rodriguez and Warren, both of whom seemed taken aback that this woman was contradicting their earlier statement in front of their students. And though this is, I'm sure, a fun prize for all of you, we expect you all to live up to those same standards during your once-in-a-lifetime performance this evening. As this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for you, I'm confident that we'll receive nothing less than perfection. Aaron and Holly exchanged a glance at the words, and it was clear to the two of them that they were both thinking the exact same thing. The woman's words weren't doing nothing to calm their nerves. We only have a few hours before tonight's big show, Miss Barnes continued after checking her wristwatch which gives us very little time to rehearse. Rehearse and rehearse some more to ensure that you'll all be stage ready before showtime. So, she clapped her hands together forcefully. Please follow me. And without another word, she turned her back on the class and began to walk briskly towards the stage. Miss Warren raised an eyebrow, 
as she turned to look at Principal Rodriguez, who had sweat sprouting from his forehead and was pulling nervously at his collar, doing his best to avoid the accusing stares of the parent chaperones gathered amongst his students. After clearing his throat loudly, he said firmly, <coughs> You heard the woman. He motioned in her direction. Please follow her in an orderly fashion. Thanks for that, Adam. And may I say, number one, sorry I gave you such a long chapter, but you read it perfectly and with beautiful aplomb as you switched between points of views and characters, and you did amazing voices. I especially like the way you injected Daniel with a little bit of Draco Malfoy vibes there. It was awesome. Like all of our listeners before you, you have raised the bar, my friend. I am continuously blown away by the talent of our guests who have agreed to help me bring my little story to life. As I am continuously blown away by all of you listeners for eagerly taking this year-long journey with us and strapping in for the long haul to see where these characters and this plot goes, tuning in week after week. Again, apologies that this particular chapter is a week late, but I hope that it was worth the wait for y'all. I appreciate each and every one of you more than you know, and have received some wonderful comments and feedback from all of y'all. So please keep all of that coming, and, and please, if you're enjoying the story, please consider sharing it with your family and friends on your social media feeds, while tagging streaming services like Netflix, Hulu, Hallmark, because hey, you never know, in order to get it in front of as many ears as possible, or as many eyes, because the text of each chapter you hear is made available on our website each and every week as well. So if reading is more of your thing, or more of their thing, they can read our weekly installments at www.tisapodcast.com. And if you enjoy Tissa Podcast proper, if you ever want to comment on a movie or television show we discuss, give us feedback on a specific episode, comment on this book, or just interact with us and other listeners of the show in general, check out our social media feeds. All you have to do to get to each one is go to www.tizapodcast.com slash Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, or Facebook group. Our Facebook group is by far the most active of our social media pages. It's always busy year-round and not just with Christmas chatter, although that is obviously our primary focus. There's plenty of talk about pop culture, movies, comic books, TV shows, memes, and other holidays as well, especially those other Burr Month's holidays that we all know and love, like Halloween and Thanksgiving, which lead up to the most wonderful day of the year itself. It's also kind of become a one-stop shop for many of the Christmas podcasts that you know and love on the Christmas Podcast Network. So not only will you find new episodes of Tisa Podcast there and get to interact with Julia, Tom, and myself there, but you'll also find new episodes of Merry Britmas. The Christmas Podcasts Podcast, Seasons Eatings, Totally Rad Christmas, Christmas Clatter, TGI Podcast, A Cozy Christmas Podcast, Advent Calendar House Podcast, Christmas Conversations, Planning for Christmas, all of your favorites posted there as well, and find all of the hosts of said shows you know and love on the website too. Always willing to interact with anyone and everyone about anything. It's truly a mini Christmas family that's formed within this Facebook group. I know I sound like a broken record at this point, but I'm going to keep saying it because it's the God's honest truth. I know I speak for Tom and Julia and myself when I say it's the thing we are most proud of in regards to the show and what's come from the show over the past four years. 
And speaking of the show, if you want more bonus episodes, Christmas cards, enamel pins, ringtones, etc., check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash tisapodcast or www.tisapodcast.com slash Patreon. For as little as $1 a month, you can get full-length bonus episodes of the show. For the past few months, we've been dropping about one bonus episode per week. We've kind of fallen off the past few weeks due to life getting in the way, but come September and October, you'll be going back to getting weekly bonus episodes in your Patreon feeds as we celebrate Halloween. And then, of course, come November and December, you'll get tons of Thanksgiving, Black Friday, and Christmas-themed content as well. So if you're not a patron yet, now is the time to consider joining. If you were a patron who's dropped off, now is the time to consider rejoining. There's plenty of stuff up there, so much so... It's almost like a separate show at this point. There's truly something for everyone, so check it out. All of the money we receive from y'all gets recycled back into Tis a Podcast and helps us put out new swag to improve the quality of the show in general. But there are also other free ways to help the podcast besides subscribing to Patreon and engaging with us on and sharing our social media pages. You can help the show in a free way by leaving us a review on iTunes because every new review helps new listeners to find us and helps us to spread the Christmas cheer... 365 days per year coming up on the show this upcoming monday august 9th we will be dropping a once patreon exclusive episode in your main feeds because once again life got in the way for the l's this past week specifically me and we didn't have time to record an episode on tuesday august 10th however the l's will gather to discuss a 2006 film Last Holiday, starring Queen Latifah. Before that drops in your feeds on Monday, August 16th, though, on Thursday, August 12th, you'll get to hear Chapter 28 of another Christmas story, entitled The First Noel, which Robert Nickerson of Behind the Bells will be reading to y'all. So keep your eyes on your podcast feeds, because there's lots of great stuff coming up, lots of exciting stuff coming up, but that's not the most exciting news we have for you today. The most exciting news we have for y'all is that there are only 149 days until Christmas from the day that this was originally supposed to drop, which was last Thursday, July 29th. So really, there are less than that. How exciting is that? Before you know it, September will be here. We're already in August. The Burr months are practically upon us. This year is flying. So buckle in. Enjoy every second of the ride because we are quickly approaching the time of year where we want things to slow down a bit so we can really revel in everything going on around us. Christmas will be here before you know it, and in the blink of an eye, we'll be counting down to Christmas 2022. So once again, thank you all for your love and support. We couldn't ask for better listeners in the world than all of you. You're truly the best, and we are so lucky we get to consider you all legitimate friends and so many of you family. Make sure to do your homework, watch Last Holiday, and we shall speak to you again next week. Bye, y'all.